Big changes are happening in the Daybell Vallow case. Lori's attorneys have asked to have her case put on hold so she can be evaluated for competency again. Chad's attorney has asked once again to sever Chad and Lori's trials. He also wants cameras in the courtroom and access to more grand jury documents. Everybody. Welcome to the True Crime Squad. I'm your host, Christy Brower, and I'm soloing it again for this episode. Katie will be back hopefully in the next few days. She's had COVID and she doesn't have much of a voice right now. I talked to her yesterday and uh, she can hardly squeak. So as soon as that gets a little better, then she'll be back with us. But in the meantime, I'm on my own. So, uh, so much happening right now, you guys. I wanted to give a quick update first to yesterday's episode about Timothy Hazlitt uh, Jr., who has been arrested in Excelsior Springs, Missouri, for the um, kidnap and uh, rape of a woman who got free from his house and got help last Friday. So some new details came out yesterday um that i i felt like were relevant that it would be good to know as we're moving forward here so as we know she escaped a neighbor helped her called the police got her um to the hospital because she needed uh treatment and then the the police uh went and found Hazlitt and arrested him as well as spent the entire weekend searching his house. One of the things that the uh, survivor said when she was found is that there may have been more than one victim. They have not found any other living people in the house other than him and his child. Doesn't mean they haven't found bodies, but right now what they're saying is there are no other living people being kept in the house. But here are some more uh, details of um, what, what they saw and what, you know, what they found so far when she was found, she was wearing a metal collar. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, it had a padlock on the front of it. They had to cut the padlock off to get it off from her because it was affecting her breathing. Um, she also had, she was wearing a trash bag. And that she told the police that she'd been held hostage in his home since sometime in September, early September. She was picked up um, on Prospect Avenue in Kansas City in early September. So he's had her probably a little more than a month. Um, She told the police that she was being kept in a small room in the basement that he had built. And that room was meant for holding someone captive. She was restrained with handcuffs on her wrists and her ankles. And when she got free, it's because he left to take his child to school and somehow she managed to get out of her handcuffs. Uh, He said that she was, she said that she was whipped and raped frequently. 
Um, I'm just so glad that she's been found alive and that she's getting the help that she needs. Uh, it's, I can't imagine the trauma that um, she's been through. So no other, no changes in charges at this point. Um, the police have not said whether they think there are other victims who may be deceased, but at least there are no other living victims in the house, which is good news. Right now, the house is boarded up and fenced off uh, to protect the crime scene so that the police can um, continue their investigation. Uh, and uh, the FBI are involved now as well. And so they're taking this very, very seriously. And uh, the neighborhood is just stunned still. But at least what we're seeing now is some progress as far as, you know, there aren't any other living people in that house that need rescued. That's a good thing. And the victim or the survivor is safe. So now they can begin their process of investigation. So as that updates, we will continue to update you. But the uh, main case in this episode is the Daybell Vallow case. I'm sure you've all been seeing it. A whole bunch of things have happened in the last week on this case. So I wanted to go through them with you. Excuse me, talk about what they mean and where things are headed now, as far as we know. So two weeks ago, there was court where Lori's uh, attorneys applied to kick out cameras and live streams from the courtroom. Unfortunately, they were successful with that. Well, only just a few days after that ruling, John Pryor, who is Chad Daybell's attorney, filed to allow cameras and live stream in the courtroom. And he waited until after the judge ruled on the other case, which I think is really strange. I don't understand. Um, I think probably he irritated the hell out of the judge. The judge immediately said no to that, that he's not addressing it again. Then John Pryor asked for the transcripts from a grand jury that was convened in December of 2021. We don't know what that grand jury was for, for sure. It was related to this case. We know that. I'm going to tell you what my guess is. My guess is that that grand jury convened to see if there were charges that could be laid on the um, minor players in this situation. Uh, the Melanies, Zulema, you know, some of the people that were involved peripherally and that may have been involved more than we know and may have had more information than we realized they had. There's some stuff like that that uh, we've wondered if they were reviewing that, considering if there would be charges against anyone else. Now, there have been no charges come out of that grand jury. And uh, Judge Boyce immediately denied Pryor's request for those transcripts and said that they were unrelated to his case. So interesting, you know, we, if something was going to have come out of that, it would have happened a long time ago. Um, obviously they didn't indict anybody. So then his third request was yet again, asking to sever the two cases, to sever Chad and Lori's cases in order to allow them to have separate trials. This was 
already done earlier this year. It was denied. But one of the arguments that John Pryor had, probably I think the most legitimate one, was that Chad was sitting in jail, unable to move forward on his case because Lori was in the hospital. Now, I mean, there are a lot of things that you could say about that. Maybe he shouldn't have committed murders with her, you know, whatever. But, you know, legitimately, when they have to start looking at his rights, that that's a question, right? Well, they denied it. And we had said at the time, we think Lori is about to get out of the hospital. We'd been hearing some things that made us think she was about to be released. And she was like a week later. So the judge wasn't too concerned about that particular issue because I think he already knew that she was being released. Well, now we have some really interesting things happening because last week, Lori's attorneys filed to have her case suspended indefinitely to give them an opportunity to have her evaluated again to see if she is capable, you know, if she's competent to stand trial or if she needs to be rehospitalized. The reason this is happening right now is because there is a deadline, and that deadline I think is actually today, October 11th, was nine, this is 90 days prior to the first trial, to the trial beginning, the original trial date. And if you're going to reevaluate and start looking at hospitalizations, you have to do it more than 90 days before the trial begins. Because so many reasons, you know, the courts don't want to be putting all this time and effort and money into prepping for a trial that that is then not going to happen. So they had to file for that now. Lori's not in the hospital. Uh, it is possible that she will go back. But ultimately, this time is first and foremost meant to be used to evaluate her. So now they have to go through the evaluation process. And we've, we've seen this before. Her Her attorneys will have her evaluated. And then likely the prosecution will also have her um, evaluated by someone that they hire. This is what happened last time. She was um, she was found incompetent by two different uh, mental health professionals. So now they have the time to do that. The judge did grant, I mean, he doesn't really have a choice. He, he has to. If there's questions about competency, we have to be absolutely 100% sure. If she had gone to trial, if he had said no to this and went to trial and then was proven to be incompetent, her trial would be moot. They'd have to start over. And that is the part that I think that the a lot of people are very angry and frustrated about this, JJ's grandparents particularly, which I totally get. I mean, I'm not discounting how they feel. This sucks. This has taken way too long already. And now we have no idea when, um, you know, what's going to happen here or when they will go to trial. But there is a real um, reality here that the courts are trying to avoid, and that is to have to try her again, to have to release her. You know, there's all kinds of things that can happen if a person goes to trial when they are not competent. That conviction can't stand. So at this point, they're erring on the side of caution. I think it's very likely that she will go back to the hospital. Her attorneys have been hinting at that 
since she came out the last time. And we know from some of the court hearings we've seen recently before they took away our ability to live stream them is that she is not well and she doesn't, her, her facial expressions don't line up with what's going on around her. She was sort of leering and giggly and just very strange. The way that she was presenting in the courtroom, not, um, not stable at all. So I, I think that they will find her incompetent and send her back to the hospital. I think, I don't think that her attorneys would go through this process if they thought that they could really go to trial. I mean, they're trying to protect her legal rights for sure, but they don't want to drag this on forever either. No one does. But if there's any question that she can't be, uh, you know, competent, we just don't have a choice. And, you know, I mean, you got to figure that a woman that participated in the murders of her own children, she might not be okay. Yeah. And, and we know that, you know, we've seen lots of things that have indicated that Lori has been mentally ill for most of her life. But things have gotten real intense at this point. So the judge did grant it. Uh, and so he has now suspended the trial. So there is no trial date at this point. And he will be dealing with now the request from uh, John Pryor and, and Chad to sever the trials. This is a little bit different situation than the last time that they had this discussion because she's not coming out of the hospital. She's likely going in. They really don't want to, the judge really doesn't want to sever these cases. He's been really clear about that. Neither does the prosecution. But as we hit another sort of unknown amount of time in which the trial cannot go forward because Lori is, you know, in a hospital, I mean, how long can they hold it off really and not be violating Chad's rights? There's some real questions there. And so that's going to be heard uh, this week. There will be a, a hearing this week for the judge to hear argument on that. And we'll see. I mean, I last time it was pretty much a no-brainer. This time, I, I'm not sure that it is as much of a no-brainer. What uh, Pryor has asked for is he would like the trial to begin no earlier than October of 2023. All of this is really interesting because there's been a lot of arguing about when the trial should be prior to this, which um, doesn't match what they're arguing now. If Pryor had originally had his way, this trial would be underway right now in October of 2022. That's what he wanted. And um, the prosecution wanted September of 2023 originally, and the judge went with January of 2023. So now um, Chad's camp is asking for October of 2023. And, you know, Pryor, of course, has to argue pretty ridiculous and obvious stuff. That's kind of his thing is the, you know, turning the obvious into a catastrophe. So let me tell you some of what his motions said, um, his, his trial, his client's trial should be continued due to a 
substantial, or we all know he wanted to say voluminous, amount of investigation and preparation, um, along with a significant amount of evidence that he has not received from prosecutors, which yet again is not true. He has received everything he's going to get. He just wants them to organize it for him so that he doesn't have to just go through it. It's like five terabytes of information and it's not sorted or organized or put into any, you know, any way that makes sense. And so Pryor's mad that they didn't do his uh, secretarial work for him. So that's what he's saying. He's also saying there is no possible way to complete the investigation and be prepared for a death penalty trial in January of 2023. Interesting because he originally wanted it in October of 2022. And what's he been doing all this time? He also said death penalty cases are unique in the criminal legal system and require counsel to undertake an extensive time-consuming investigation. Oh, really, Briar? I'm glad you told us that because I don't think anyone knew that but you, sir. He also says this, again, it's just obvious whiny stuff, but that he must prepare for essentially two trials. The merit phase, which is, you know, where they give evidence and, you know, find his client innocent or guilty. And then the sentencing phase, because this is a death penalty case. Uh, Pryor did say that his time has been focused on the complex merit phase, and he is just now starting the initial stages of the sentencing phase. I mean, that's what everyone has to do. That's what every attorney who does a death penalty case has to do. I don't know what the big whininess is other than he doesn't want to have to pay anyone to help him. Uh, he also said pushing this case to trial prematurely will heighten the all the already very significant risk of reversal that is characteristic of death penalty cases. Yeah, because they're going to exhaust their appeals, as most people do. Um, Pryor also said that um, death penalty cases and appeals cost millions of dollars to taxpayers. I frankly don't think that Pryor gives a shit what this costs the state and and uh, the citizens of the state of Idaho. I don't really think he cares. Um, in, in order to conserve resources as well as preserve Mr. Daybell's constitutional rights and the integrity of these capital proceedings, Mr. Daybell respectfully requests this court vacate the current trial date. So, you know, basically both defendants have asked to have that trial date vacated. It has now. And there is not a new trial date yet because they first got to decide, is it going to be a joint trial or not? In the motion to sever uh, prior, and he's been saying this all along, um, that Chad being tried with Lori would deprive his client of his constitutional right to present a complete defense. I don't think that's true. There's no limit to what he can do. He can present as his defense. They just don't have to have witnesses in twice. He can present any defense he wants. They can have different charges or different convictions. One can roll on another when a case is joined. Like he doesn't lose any of those rights, but he likes to imply that Chad does lose those rights if this case is joined. Uh, He said he prior said that he plans to introduce prior bad acts of both Ms. Vallow, Ms. Vallow and Alex Cox, Lori's brother, who is deceased, um, as well as evidence regarding Lori and Alex's relationship and the death of Alex. So that will be interesting since 
Alex's death has not been deemed a crime. I'm not sure what he thinks he's going to get out of that. Um, he also, <laughs> sometimes I really think Pryor just does not think because he shoots himself really hard in the foot. So he argues men are more likely to be put to death. Yes, but men are also more likely to commit murder and they're also more likely to commit first degree murder. There are many more men charged and tried for first degree murder a year than there are women. Um, but he did reference some statistics that show that 8,581 men and 175 women were sentenced to death nationwide between 1972 and January 1st of 2021. But what he doesn't say there is how many were charged with first degree murder, because you're going to find that it's somewhere within that same ratio. It is not, I mean, you could say maybe there's some prejudice toward men, but it's likely because there are so many more men committing violent crime and committing first degree murder and murdering women in this country. So prior, I think, I don't think he made the point that he was meaning to make with those statistics. If you know anything about crime statistics, bottom line is way more men are charged with first degree murder in the first place because way more men commit murder in the first place. Okay. Um, there's been this big thing about how Lori did not waive her right to speedy trial. And so they were trying to get to trial within her time frame and all that stuff. And so it was, this has been a big problem because Chad did wa waive his right to speedy trial. And so there have been problems with figuring what they're going to do about the trial date anyway, and had finally done it in January, 2023. Um, <laughs> Pryor says the most sensible approach due to the irreconcilable conflicts which will arise in a joint trial of both death-noticed co-defendants, that severance is the most direct approach to protect their constitutional rights. And I think he's getting a little, uh, a little dramatic there. But, I mean, the bottom line is if she's going to go back to the hospital, she was in the hospital 10 months last time. We don't know how long she'll be there. The judge may finally give in to this and realize that it's pretty much uh, going to be moot trying to keep the trials together. We'll see. We'll see what Boyce does. He may not be ready to admit that yet, but that's that's kind of what's going on right now. So there are a lot of things still to be ruled upon. We don't know what the judge is going to do with the severance. We don't know what's going to happen with the trial date. Lori is currently not in a hospital, but we do know that this uh, this order has given them the opportunity to have her evaluated again. So there's there's a lot of stuff coming and we're going to keep talking about all of it. We will go to court if we can. If we can't, we will um, use the notes of other people who did and we'll still be able to evaluate the situation and break it down for you. And we'll just continue talking about this, you know, as we have been for two and a half years. At this point, I just really wish for the families that there could be some an, an end date in sight. Uh, they still have not been able to release the bodies of the kids, so they haven't been buried. And the, the um, grandparents are very unhappy about that, which it, that's a hard thing because they are evidence. And that sucks. Because for the families, they need to have that closure. But 
I don't know. I don't know if they'll get their bodies back before trial. It may be after. We'll see. And we'll see what happens with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm leaning more toward thinking that the judge will probably grant the severance at this point because things are so unknown. But, you know, Boyce has held pretty hard that he did not want to do that. So I don't know if circumstances will force it or if he's going to still be real sure he doesn't want to do that. We'll see. But as usual, we will stay on top of it and let you know. We will be back tomorrow. This is our Tuesday episode, so we'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday with another episode. And maybe Katie will be here with me. I don't know. And then, of course, Wednesday night is case updates, uh, our live stream at 7 p.m. Mountain. And, you know, there's lots of movement happening. You know, obviously, I had some more on the on the um, Excelsior Springs kidnapping. There's going to be tons of stuff to share on Wednesday night because, as always, there are a lot of things moving in the crime world. So. Thank you very much for joining me. Please be sure to like, subscribe, share, and comment. It helps us to grow. And go check out our Patreon. It's full of like two and a half years full of worth of um, extra episodes that you didn't even know we did. And you can access them by becoming a patron and supporting what we do. You know it. We are the True Crime Squad. Thanks for being here.